Ali Bahoush has more than 20 years of experience in the tech industry, and he currently serves as the CTO and VP of Enterprise Architecture at Sephora. It may seem odd that a makeup company has such an intense focus on tech, but when you dig a little deeper, it's clear that technology is a key driver in the retail industry and a large part of how Sephora will grow in the future. In this episode, Ali and Ian discuss applications that allow customers to virtually try on Sephora products, how the company is using AI and big data, and so much more. This podcast is sponsored by the Lightning Platform by Salesforce. Salesforce just introduced the Lightning Platform Mobile, the low-code mobile app development platform that empowers anyone to easily build, publish, and manage AI-powered mobile apps for employees and for customers. Find out more at salesforce.com slash build mobile apps. Welcome to IT Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here at Mission.org. And on the other line, Ali, what's going on? Not much. Thank you for having me here. Yeah, it's really exciting to, to have you on the show. We admittedly have not had a ton of retail executives on IT Visionaries, and we are super excited for this one. We have a ton of stuff about what you're doing at Sephora, the different things that cloud, big data, in-memory, cognitive computing, and all of the interesting things in your background and how you bring that to Sephora, and then some of the cool things that you've seen along the way. But first, let's get right into it. How'd you get started in technology? I'd say it started actually as a curiosity when I was a child, just looking at toys. And literally, um, I I remember my parents telling me that I'd get a toy and it never lasted more than a couple of days before I have to pray it open and try to understand uh, how it functions. So that's how my curiosity basically, uh, in terms of understanding uh, how things function and how things are built, started way early uh, in my childhood, I would say. Yeah, and that kind of like curiosity, that like how things how things work, could that take you to, you know, obviously electrical engineering, but was that something that you had kind of seen early on that like, hey, once I found out about electrical engineering that this is exactly what I want to do? Well, to be honest with you, growing up, I, I was thinking I'm, I'm going to be building rockets because that, that was growing up in the 60s, that, that was the big thing, right? So the first man in the moon. So, of course, everybody wanted to be either having to do something with, with space and either getting us there, being an astronaut or being an astro engineer or something like that. So I, I always knew that I wanted to be a part of that thrill of understanding how things work, using that to create uh, that adventure and just pushing the envelope of where humans can go and what they can do. So you've worked at some amazing places like Grid Dynamics, Tibco, WePro, Forrester, a lot of industry-leading experts. What do you think it takes to be like an industry-leading CTO? Well, it's a journey. And the amazing thing, to be honest with you, nobody plans it that way. It just unfolds. As long as the drive behind it is is true, which is excellence, trying to understand and utilize technology to solve human problems, then the journey will unfold in its own way. What, What it takes really is enough depth in certain areas of, of core technology and enough breadth 
to make sure you don't become just a subject matter expert in one niche area, but totally ignorant about those areas. So it, it's more of like this T-shaped experience and, and knowledge that is required to, 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 to play such a role. Yeah, I mean, that is really what kind of jumped out to me when we first started talking about this episode is that exactly what you're saying, that T-shaped experience, and that's a, it's a great reference for that. But just how much experience you have across different things. You've written, you know, you co-authored a book on B2B solutions using WebSphere Business Connection. You've done a bunch of different things. With regards to retail, why are you so excited about the opportunity at Sephora and the opportunity of IT and technology when it comes to retail? So about 20 years ago, I, I, I was kind of done with the startup world and I started actually getting involved in consulting. And it's through that consulting work that I started working with some of the retailers. And then retail started becoming uh, a real focus for what I, uh, I'm, I'm really doing. Well, what got me interested in retail is basically the intersection of two intellectual curiosities that I have. One is, like I said, about technology and how to use it to solve human problems. And the second one is understanding human psychology and how that influences how we make decisions and how we act. So in retail, basically what we're doing is we're looking to understand consumer behavior and consumer psychology. And then we're trying to use the, the latest cutting-edge technology to make sure we understand the needs and we can meet those needs uh, and create these awesome experiences for uh, our customers. So retail became that kind of intersection space, if you will, for those two intellectual curiosities that I had. And, and of course, it's, it's an industry that's continually changing and evolving and therefore, where innovation actually is is not luxury, but actually a necessity to to remain relevant. Yeah, and do you think that retail, you know, that people would be surprised how much technology is, or excuse me, how much retail is driven by technology? I mean, I one of our producers who works in IT at a large retail company constantly remarks about how much technology is involved, and I think you know as you look at a lot of the folks that we've had on the show are in technology companies, but really the future you know, retail companies are technology companies. Do you think that that's ever surprising to people when they come into the organization, just how much technology moves the retail industry? I, I agree. Some people are surprised because most people, when they think about retail, what pops into their head is usually the brick and mortar traditional retail. And yeah, the traditional retailers are still running most of their IT actually on mainframe. They have very little technology in the store besides probably a point of sale, and that's pretty much it. But the advanced retailers have totally blurred that delineation between physical and, and digital. And therefore, there is a lot of technology that's enabling that experience that blurs the line between the digital and physical. If you look at retail and you think about retail as this space where an experience is being produced. So for me, I think about retail more like a Hollywood production as opposed to a traditional industry where everything is there actually to deliver a certain experience uh, and leave the consumer wanting more because of the positive emotional residue that's left from that experience. 
every time they interact with the brand, right? So because of that, and because of the how technology has permeated every aspect of our life, if you look at it, consumers actually have become more tech savvy. And then retailers were trying to catch up with their consumers and meet them where they are. So it's in a sense the consumer that's pulling retailers into more and more technology. It's the consumers that demanded that they want to have access to their favorite products and services via the internet first. And then from there, once uh, the uh, adoption of uh, smartphones became pervasive, then they demanded again that they want the same or better experience through that device that's become literally their constant companion 24-7. And as the social media started actually growing, the same thing again. People didn't just want to talk about their favorite products and the experiences they're having. They actually want to share them with their friends. They want to actually share the experience itself with friends, not just by talking about it, but actually by doing a group shopping, for example, or actually sharing ideas about products, but also sharing products themselves. So therefore, again, bringing the retail experience all the way to the social network. So again, it's it's a pull from a more sophisticated, technology-savvy consumer that's saying, here is where I am, and if you want to interact with me, if you're still interested in my business, come meet me where I'm at. I love that. And Sephora has been at the cutting edge of this, and that's what I think is interesting. You know, you have an app that provides users with a shopping experience, and, you know, discounts, and there's a virtual artist element, you can try on different products and, and all that sort of stuff. How did you look at, you know, building that type of application and building an experience around the user or around the, really the customer? At Sephora, we've been lucky to have visionary leadership that has always put the customer first at the center of everything that we do. And just by doing that itself, it automatically brings to light that you have to go meet the customer where they are, as opposed to say, I'm going to build this experience because somebody dreamed it up and thought it would be cool. And then if you build it, they will come. It doesn't work that way. The reality today with the a sophisticated consumer, a very empowered consumer, is you have to understand your consumers more intimately. You have to anticipate actually their needs and wants and actually create the experiences that will meet those needs and wants and continue to actually go and meet the, the customer where they are, whether physically or digitally. What we do, again, is we start with the customer at the center of whatever conversation we, we have. And then we always ask the question, what is missing in today's experience, right? And then is this an experience that fundamentally needs to be mediated by human interaction? Or is this an experience actually that calls for more privacy, where a person needs to be comfortable, they don't have to face another human being and face all their insecurities, whether it's their insecurities about their look or their skin challenges. And, and that's what the technology does sometimes is it creates that sense of that personal private space where it's just you and the machine. The machine won't tell on you. The machine is not going to criticize you. The machine doesn't judge you, right? The machine does not have an opinion. It's like, oh my God, you have wrinkles or oh my God, those, those pimples are horrible. 
Whereas us human beings, we do that instinctively. I mean, if somebody is in front of me and I notice something, there is actually a physical reaction to that. There is body language that I'm not even aware of. I may, if somebody, for example, has a huge pimple, my my eyes actually would, the pupils in my eyes will widen. Yeah. And I look, I look like a, a deer caught in the headlights without even knowing it, without even consciously willing it. It's, it's a physical reaction that just happens. And because of that, then people feel judged and they feel uncomfortable. And that's why people don't bring, especially in, in our space, which is beauty and skincare and things and hair, people sometimes feel intimidated bringing those issues to another human being. So that, that's where technology plays a very, very powerful and fundamental role. So the key principle for us is not to try to just look at what successful experiences we have in the store physically and try to duplicate these in the digital space, one for one. That, that's not the philosophy. Our philosophy is to say, here is what the physical experience is today. Where is it lacking? What is it that you could not do physically, right? And what things technology can mediate for us and deliver value, whether it's providing that privacy for, for the customer or providing other things. Let me give you a, a fantastic example. Yeah. So we went and spent some time actually with our makeup artists uh, in the store and we spent a day there. And one of the key things we said, okay, is there anything that you could not do physically that if you had a magic wand, you would have loved to, to use. And they said, yes. And they just took this simple example of trying different shades of lipstick, right? So to try any shade of lipstick, first of all, you have to wipe out whatever you already have on your lips, yeah, right? And then you apply one shade. You look at it and see what it looks on you. And then you have to wipe it off and apply another shade. By the time you've done this two or three times, you've already forgotten what the first shade looked like. Yep. That's number one. So you don't have, it's really hard to have a point of reference to start comparing. And number two, after you've done this three or four times, your poor lips are actually drying up from all the application of this and the wiping out and the application and wiping out. So we took that literally as a challenge to come back to our innovation lab and say, okay, how could you virtualize this so that somebody could do a virtual try-on. That's where that virtual try-on was, was, was born, right? And of course, we looked at that, and before you know it, after a couple of days of brainstorming stuff, we looked at it and it became like this monumental challenge, right? You have to do literally a 3D mapping, if not of all the face, let's just see, you just focus on lipstick and lips, right? Just to do a 3D mapping of a complex, topology of lips with all the details there, with the fact that things could be shiny or matte, that uh, the lighting of the environment matters, all of that stuff. So it became very clear that not only there is technology in augmented reality, AR, there is uh, things uh, that require to do mapping and recognition of the different aspects of uh, facial features, understanding the lighting, translating that into a 3D model that you could apply not only color, but also texture and luminance to, right? 
And oh boy, was that a challenge? And we looked at that and said, man, we're going to need to hire an army of people. Each one of them is going to be an expert in their field. Of course, you don't do it that way. That's when we started actually looking at our partner ecosystem to see who does what best and who's willing to partner. And eventually, we end up uh, picking up a partner who's a little unknown startup out of Boston, Modiface. And then we struck a deal with them with uh, a couple of years of exclusivity. We developed uh, the solution. We brought it up to the market. It was a big hit. It gave us lead. And then when the exclusivity was over, Modiface actually was uh, acquired by L'Oreal. So it was a win-win partnership for us. So Sephora got what we needed. We got that leading edge. And we provided our consumers something that's literally magical. So imagine from going and not being able to try more than three shades of lipstick, for example, and now being able to literally try an infinite number of shades of lipstick. And guess what? You can actually compare them side to side. And not only that, you can share them with your friends over your favorite social network and ask for their opinion so that you can make a very confident decision once you decide which one you're going to go for. Right? So to me, that's the right use of technology, not as technology trying to mimic what happens in the physical world, but technology trying to augment and enhance and mediate experiences that would be physically impossible. And that's, I think, where Sephora succeeds. It's absolutely fascinating because I think one of the things that people, I think, lose with the technology aspect is kind of like you said there, where can we remove friction from an experience that is in the physical world? And as you add complexity, when you get literally in the thousands, you start to realize, well, okay, somebody couldn't try on a hundred shades of lipstick, you know, in an hour at a Sephora store, but technology can help you do that. Also, you know, what about color combinations? If you wanted to try on 10 combinations and you know, 10 different kinds of blush and 10 different kinds of eyeliner and 10 different kinds of lipstick all at the same time. Well, guess what? That level of complexity would now take hours and hours and hours to actually do. But now if you take all of that complexity, put it in application, then you can go into the actual store and say, hey, I want to see this one and this one and this one over the next hour. You've really enhanced that in-person, that in-person journey. And I think, you know, What's so interesting, I went into Sephora two weeks ago in preparation for this because I was excited to to see the in-store experience. And what's so interesting is they're so alive. Like Sephora stores are so alive and there's so much stuff going on. And when you can give people that opportunity to go have a real, like, you know, the IRL, the in real life experience, augmented by all of the research and stuff that they did, like you said, when they were worried about things or maybe... the you know, those insecurities, you've now created a customer that is much happier and you came to them on their terms. Do you think that AI will be an extension of this? And how how are you looking at AI to enhance that customer experience? So we do. We do believe that AI has a, a role to play. The challenge we have is, number one, overcoming all the hype. And again, AI is at its nascent stage now. So it's the, the majority of what you see and hear out there is is more marketing hype than actual reality. So that's number one. But once you get over that, 
there is definitely tremendous potential. And the potential there is you're starting to bring higher degrees of intelligence to the types of decisions and capabilities that a machine can do now. Whether that machine is that smartphone on your on your hand, or it could be some tablet or a screen device that's somewhere in a physical place, or it could be a smart speaker like uh, what we did with Google Home. So today, for example, we, we partnered with Google and we used Google Home to be an in-home assistant. And we started just with one category, which is skincare. So now when she is at home, she has Google Home on her vanity and she's looking at herself in the mirror and she's looking at some skin problem, whether it's a wrinkle or a pimple or whatever it is. And then she can just talk to Google Home and say, Google, get me Sephora on the line. And she starts actually this live interaction with an AI-driven chatbot that actually is very intelligent, has a human-like conversation, and walks you through to understand what is the skincare you're working with. And it's not like, oh, what product do you want? No. So this is not just speech-to-text conversion, and then you do your traditional index-based text search, keyword search. No. So what we're doing there is literally we're trying to emulate the human conversation. So she says, get me Sephora on the line, and then here pops Emily saying, hi, my name is Emily. I'd love to help you today. And she knows that she's talking to Sarah. How are you doing, Sarah? How can I help you today? And she goes, oh, my God, I just woke up this morning and see that I have these dark circles. Hmm. So are you looking for something to just deal with this immediately or you're looking for long-term treatment? Uh, I don't know. I just want to get this done with this. I got to rush to work. Okay, why don't you try this concealer? And when she says, why don't you try this concealer? There is a whole machine learning model there that's been learning from all the interactions you've had with Sephora. What kind of skin you have? Is it dry? Are you mostly buying products for dry skin, oily skin, this thing, that thing? Besides, so there is a lot of stuff we can infer besides the user preferences that are explicitly shared with us, right? So just from the transactional information, just from what the user looks at and what conversations they're having in our beauty community, for example, from all of that, there is a richness of information that we learn from and that the model, the machine learning model learns from so that when we're coming to give you a recommendation, whether it's a concealer, whether it's a foundation cream or whatever it is, it's not just this generic recommendation that's mostly biased by what some brand is trying to push or what's trending, because that's not what it is. With, with the products that we deal with, it doesn't get any more personal than your skin. And my skin is unique as I am, right? And I don't want some generic recommendation. I need a recommendation that has a high probability of succeeding with me. And when that happens and that sweet spot is hit, the residual experience is nothing short of magical. So imagine you're saying this, and you say, look, are you, if you're going to work, what's your, what's your location of work? And she says, for example, well, it's a five to five market. Okay, it's five to five market in downtown San Francisco. The closest Sephora store to you there is Embarcadero. So if you get off the bar on Embarcadero, just walk into the Sephora store, one of our makeup artists will already be ready for you. 
She'll help you with what you need to do. She'll apply the concealer for you. So she goes in there. She gets the problem taken care of. And she walks out of there with a sample. No push, no pressure to, to buy the full-size product. She's giving a sample. She's running back to work, right? And she goes to work. She's getting comments from her colleagues that she's looking good. She, she's looking at herself in the mirror. She says, oh, my God, this looks a lot more better than what I looked when I woke up this morning. She's very satisfied. She's got a sample, so she, doesn't ha- she does not have the pressure to go buy. So she has a sample that she can go try later on and so on and so forth, right? At the same time, there is a follow-on that says, hey, normally one of the sources of under circles is usually exhaustion, so make sure you're getting enough sleep, make sure you're hydrated, and make sure you have enough vitamins. And by the way, here is this serum that most women use to make sure that the vitamins directly target that area. We recommend this serum for you, right? She's working now with her beauty and skincare partner that cares about her, tries to solve her problems, and is not pushing a product and trying to execute a sale transaction. And that's a fundamentally different way of doing retail. And that's, I believe, the formula that's working for us. Yeah, it's it's absolutely right. And I think that a lot of times what, you know, especially like big box retail and folks got so right back 15, 20 years ago was that anytime you thought of technology, you wanted to go, like you just thought of Best Buy and you went to do that or, a toy and you went to Toys R Us, right? You were so top of mind to the consumer that you were like, I just know that I can go to this place. And it was always a physical place to get that stuff done. But what you're talking about with Sephora is that that place is now in the moment, in the home that, you know, when you're putting on makeup and you're standing over your makeup bag and then you can just tell, hey, Google, that completely changes the dynamic. You being front of mind in that moment in the time of need is a completely different type of experience because then you can you can layer on all of those other things. It's really fascinating. I mean, this stuff is is so exciting to think about, especially with voice, because I think a lot of times like where people are excited about voice, but they struggle to find the use cases for it. Do you think that that is something that, you know, obviously you were excited to pioneer, but do you think it's something that is just going to be, you know, the standard going forward that everybody needs to race to have those type of experiences, knowing that, you know, each company is going to be different? Uh, I really believe that's a new world that our customers are living in and, 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 and they want to live in. They are choosing to live that world, right? So if you think about it, I've been doing user experience and human computer interfaces since the late 80s. And if you think about it, I've seen everything from punch cards, and that that was the only human-computer interface that was available, right, to somebody figuring out what happens if we have something that looks like a typewriter, because most people actually do learn to to typewrite, right? And then came the keyboard, then suddenly came the screen, then came the GUI so that you can move things in the virtual space, which is your virtual desktop just like you would move physical things. So what we're doing basically is we're shrinking that gap between the machine and the human. And for human beings, voice actually is a very natural way to interface. 
We do that every day. We're doing that right now, right? So it is inevitable that people would want actually to interact with technology via voice. That's been how human beings have interacted with each other for, for millennia. And it's about time actually that we have technology that is sophisticated enough to be able to take that interface, that input in that modality that comes in natural to human beings, as opposed to at the beginning of that history, it's actually humans who are trying to adapt to what the capabilities and limitations of the technology were. So we're seeing that shift. The key thing is not to look at voice as a gimmick. Everybody's doing voice, let's do it too, right? The, the key thing for us again here is you put the customer at the center. You think about what are the challenges that the customer is, is facing or she's facing, and then try to solve for those. And when it's AR, we will do AR. When it's voice, we will do voice. When it's uh, machine learning and deep learning, we will do that. I don't care what the technology is. To me, technology is just an enabler that allows us to solve a human need, right? And as long as we start that quest for, with the customer, I don't think you can go wrong. The problem, and I'm saying this, and I'm a technologist at heart, I'm a geek. Uh, I love to play with technology for the sake of technology. But if that's the approach that we do to bring technology to business, it's going to fail. It's doomed to fail. Because I'm going to do voice because that's what's cool today. And yesterday I was doing AR because that, that's what's cool. But you're going to artificially inject these technologies and it's going to leave your customers scratching their heads. Like, why are you pushing me to do this? I'm, I'm not comfortable doing that, right? And, and that's, for example, one thing that backfired with, for example, facial recognition, having cameras recognizing people, and, and again, understanding that fine line between the different levels of intimacy you can have with your customer and how comfortable they are with it versus actually crossing that creepiness line and suddenly now the customers are, whoa, 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 how did you know this? I don't remember giving you consent to know this about me, right? And that, that sense of violation, that my privacy is violated, that you know something about me that you're not supposed to, that's a fundamental breach of a key pillar of that relationship between the customer and the brand, which is trust. Without trust, there is no currency, there is no transaction, there is nothing else. And with trust comes everything else, the loyalty, the love that people have for the brand. And, and that's what keeps some of these brands like Sephora going, even during the tough times, is because the customer will choose to come and do business with Sephora in spite of the fact that the environment is challenging, they have a lot more choices, there's products that our customers could get fulfilled somewhere else, but they choose to come to Sephora because they're not just getting the product at Sephora. They're getting the whole package. They have people who respect them, respect their privacy. They know whatever information to share with Sephora will be protected, respected. They know that that's an investment that they get back in return by us using that information to serve them better so that we don't bombard them with spam mail, we don't bombard them with just product recommendations that some brand has paid for. And, and we give them highly contextualized, highly personalized experiences that honor and respect their own individuality. And I think that's the key to the success of that formula. 
Yeah, I totally agree. I think that people a lot of times forget about the fact that the amount of impact that you're trying to have in a person's life is around for this. It's about their appearance. It's about how they feel. And pardon the pun here, but there's there's many layers to that, right? And there's when you are working in skin and makeup and hair and all of those things have different intersections, then you can provide something that helps with all of those. And I think that what we see with the rise of certain products that are, you know, those direct to consumer products, a lot of them are focusing on one specific area that is, you know, like shaving, for example. It is something that is very hyper-focused, hyper-targeted or shoes or whatever, but they're not necessarily focused about the foot experience or or whatever it is. And I think with, with Sephora, it's so interesting because it's holistic. You have to look at all of the different facets of the customer experience, not just the one product to solve the one thing. You have to work your way backwards from what they're looking for. Uh, absolutely, I'd say it even goes deeper than that. So f- f- for me, what we do here at Sephora is not just about your appearance. It's actually about can you, how comfortable are you living in your own skin, living with your own hair. It's not about how you look. It's about that fundamental confidence, all the insecurities that all of us bring, right, into every interaction we have with another human being. Being going to the office and you're going to be facing your colleagues or customers, be it that you're going to an interview or a business meeting, whatever it is. We all bring insecurities that say, is there something about me that's going to distract from what I'm trying to get done now, right? Yeah. And that's fundamental. And again, this is not unique to uh, the beauty industry. Like you said, if I'm selling shoes, I'm not in the business of selling shoes. I'm in the business of, like you said, not just foot comfort, but actually the well-being of that human being. I was just talking to a friend of mine who's a doctor, and he said, your foot and the quality of footwear you buy actually decides whether you're going to have back pain, decides how much impact there is to your knee joints and other joints, whether you're going to need a hip replacement at 50, 60, or 80, right? Absolutely. That, that That's much more fundamental than some frivolous thing about, oh, your, your shoes look good. Of course, they still have to look good, but are they contributing to my comfort and my health and well-being long-term or are actually contributing to detrimental impact into that? And once you take that deeper look into what we do, suddenly now it transforms the experience for the customer as well. The approach that we take to the customer suddenly goes beyond the issues fit, they look nice on you, let's close the transaction. It's much more deeper than that, and that's the key thing. The more we put the customer at the center, the more we genuinely care about the well-being of the customer, whether it's physical or psychological well-being of the customer, the better we can serve that customer and the more loyal that customer is going to be. You know, you've said before that IT needs to fundamentally change and they need to qualify for a seat at the table. A lot of the things that we've talked about, pretty much everything we've talked about today, has been around customer experience, how close you are and your team is to serving the customer. How do you view this changing role of IT 
and and why why do you focus on, on all of that stuff? How do you balance the need to serve the internal customers of Sephora versus the external, you know, the, you, you know, your paying customers versus, you know, the internal employees in your team? Look, uh, if you look at this journey, it's been a fantastic journey. We started, uh, and I'm talking here, we as IT professionals, as people actually that had minimal interaction with the business. Our interaction with the business is generating a monthly report that we print and we hand over to the business, say, good luck figuring out what's in, the, in that 200-page report, right? That was the, the extent of the interaction between IT and business. So move forward with the, the ERP revolution and with the ERP on cloud and SaaS, and, and suddenly now you've got business having access to functionality and technology that sometimes even bypasses their in-house IT. And suddenly now, IT has to wonder, are they still relevant? Does anybody care about IT, right? And the only way people are going to care about IT is, number one, if you can speak their language. So if we in IT fail to speak the business language, then business is not going to understand what we're talking about, regardless of how relevant that is. So the onus and the burden is on us to actually learn the language of our business so that we can converse with our business partners in vocabulary that they understand. So that's number one. Number two, you can no longer be this passive participant. As in, I'll show up, you tell me how many stores you want to open, I'll calculate how much bandwidth I need to provide, how many point of sale pieces of technology I need to provide, blah, 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 right? I'm just in this reactive mode. In that case, actually, why should I give you a seat at the table? I can just send you an email. I can make my decisions, send you an email and say, here is what I want, go do it. For us to earn that seat at the table, we need to come actually with ideas. So if somebody is talking about, we need to solve the problem of long lines at the point of sale. Yeah, the trivial solution is put more points of sale, right? But that's not actually a valuable contribution from technology. The valuable contribution from technology is to say, you know what? You don't need to go to a fixed point of sale to be checked out. Yep. And then you get that amazing look from the faces of business, like, what do you mean? Well, we can have people being checked out with a mobile device. And therefore, anybody in the store who has that mobile device can use that to check our customers. Wow, that's a disruptive idea. Now, when you bring ideas like that, do you think you're going to be, your presence is welcome in, in those meetings? Absolutely because you're contributing to fundamentally solving business problems, right? As opposed to the only conversation we bring there, oh, you want me to do that? You need to increase my CapEx, you need to increase my OPEX. That's a totally different conversation. Yeah, it's so true. I mean, I think that the struggle for a lot of IT leaders is getting the buy-in from the leadership team to be able to make and inform those decisions. Have you... What have you done in your career to get buy-in, to allow those conversations to say, hey, I know that the lights are on. I know that the things that we're doing were, we've set up systems and processes in place to do all the things 
that you expect of us to do. Here are the new ideas that I have that could propel the business forward. So, so to me, it's a three-step process, right? Number one, do your work and do it well. So if you're responsible for keeping the lights on, make sure that the lights are on and it's never an issue, right? So people don't want to hear about, oh, email is a, is a fragile system. It fails sometimes. And guess what? It fails during the height of your promotional season. Well, guess what? If that happens, then you don't have the credibility and therefore you're not going to have the respect of your, of your uh, executives. So do your job and do it well. Number two, understand the business. If you don't understand the business you're in, how are you going to be able to contribute ideas, right? So once you understand the business, whatever it is, so for me, I came to Sephora, I was new to this space. Uh, I, don't, I didn't even have a visceral experience of what this is, even as a consumer, right? Because uh, to be honest with you, I have maybe an aftershave, maybe a cologne. That's pretty much what I would buy from Sephora. Maybe some cream with SPF during summer so that I, I get some sunblock if I go to the beach. But that's pretty much it. So I'm not the typical Sephora customer. So I don't have that intuitive understanding of what this business is. I had to learn it. I had to go spend a whole day at the store, understand how that happens. I had to get the whole experience of actually my face being wiped clean, right? Having the foundation, doing everything, the lips, the smoky eye, the whole thing. And of course, I took a picture, sent it to my teenage daughter, and she thought it was hilarious. Of course, I panicked and said, please delete it immediately. Don't post anywhere. So at the end of the day, you have to learn the business. And the only way you're going to learn the business is you need to be humble and be willing to immerse yourself in it. Once you do that, then comes the third step. The third step is to have the courage to take initiative and come up with ideas, send them over email if that's the only means you have, right? Bring uh, questions to any open forum where your executives are. And the more you do that, you will be noticed. And once you've been noticed, people will call you in to their office on a one-to-one conversation. Hey, I'm, I'm doing this. I want to run it by you. What do you think? And the more they see that your conversations are elevated and they're at the, at the right level and that you can speak the business speak, you understand what the challenges are, then that's how you earn your invitation, your ticket to come in and have a seat at the decision table. Yeah, it's funny. When we talked to the CIO of, of UPS, Juan Perez, one of the things that he shared with us was this project that he wanted to do that cost a lot of money. I forget the exact amount. I want to say it was like $50 million. And he came in and he was, he laid out, you know, here's how much money we lose on this specific thing. I want to do, you know, this is like a 10-year plan that is going to save the company $500 million you know, and th- these are all the steps that we have to do. And it was, he took a business problem that he found out of thin air that nobody knew about, or maybe they sort of knew, but never didn't really have enough context with it, you know, diagrammed it and said, hey, this is, the, this is how I think we can save a lot of money over the next 10 years. If you're doing stuff like that, nobody's ever turning that person away. No one's saying like, oh, this is, this is idiotic. They might not say yes to the initiative, but at least you've, you've shown that You've made all of the right steps to say, hey, I can make a difference here beyond what, um, you know, beyond keeping the lights on. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
Okay, let's get into the lightning round. These are fast and easy questions, just like our friends at the lightning platform by Salesforce. Super fast, super easy. Are you ready? Sure, go for it. Number one, what app are you using on your phone that's the most fun? I'd probably say the camera. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, that is fun. That is fun. How about favorite use of AI or chatbots that you've seen recently? Uh, chatbots, like I said, the the skincare advisor that we have at Sephora, I think, is is a fantastic example because it's well thought of and it's, it's highly contextualized. Do you have a favorite book or podcast that you've read or listened to recently? Yes, uh, the last book I picked up at the beginning of the year is uh, Dare to Lead by uh, Brittany Brown. Brittany Brown is her name. What's your favorite one day getaway in the Bay Area or vacation spot? Uh, favorite uh, quick vacation spot, to be honest with you, is San Diego. San Diego for me is uh, it's full of memories and still has a lot to offer. Here in the Bay Area, going up to Santa Cruz, so good. I was just in Pacifica last weekend. I just love the love Santa Cruz and love the whole coastline. All right, last question. What is your best advice for a first-time CTO or CIO? First time, I'd say get a mentor. Fundamental. I, I would not be where I'm at today without the invaluable advice and time that my mentors have invested in me. Couldn't agree more. I love it. That's it for the lightning round. And that's that's all we got for today. Any final uh, any final things that you can think of or want to share with the audience? No, that's pretty much it. Awesome. Ali, this has been great. We're really excited to see what's next for Sephora. And, uh, and thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you again to our friends at Salesforce. IT Visionaries is brought to you by the Lightning Platform by Salesforce. Salesforce just introduced the Lightning Platform Mobile, the low-code mobile app development platform that empowers anyone to easily build, publish, and manage AI-powered mobile apps for employees and for customers. Find out more at salesforce.com slash build mobile apps.